This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing games and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Saturday, July 25th of 2020, it's bonus episode 21. In this episode, Jenny and Peter brainstorm some more setting stuff. Plus, a monastery that's also a brewery and a magic school, more than one local saint, a bridge that keeps evil at bay, reference to a real-world secret porpoise grave, and more. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Peter. And I'm Jenny. And no Grant today. Yeah, we're missing Grant. Grant is not feeling well, but at least we know it's not COVID. Yes. We know this because he had a test and it came back negative. So he's having some kind of respiratory nonsense, I Mm -hmm. think is about the description that we have. Yeah. Specifically, I guess it's kind of uncomfortable to talk for him right now. We are giving him a break, and we are also recording on a Saturday afternoon, which is something I don't think we have ever done throughout the entire history of the podcast. Like, even when it was just Grant and me. Scheduling things and technical nightmares, and hopefully nothing happens in the middle of this one, because, oh boy, it's already been bad. (laughs) We spent roughly half an hour just trying to get a stable, like, VoIP connection, and yeah, so... um. Yeah, one of us might be engaging in some tech murder once this is done, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, for for now, we're okay. I threatened Arson already. <laughs> yeah. so. Because this is a bonus episode, we do not have a Patreon question. We like to save those for when we've got at least three people. But we are going to do some quick scripture, and then we're going to be doing a brainstorming session. And these brainstorm sessions, mm-hmm. I think, are probably going to kind of become the, the new standard fill-in episodes for when we're down a host for a couple of reasons. First of all, they require no research and they're easy to do. Second, they're Mm -hmm. fun. And third, we've gotten pretty good responses to them. So it seems like a clear set of Mm -hmm. reasons to do these when when we're down a person. Let's get into that scripture and then we can start brainstorming. We actually, I've got four different things and we're going to pick what we brainstorm when we get going. Jenny, I believe you've got Proverbs. Proverbs 27, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And we have 1 Peter 4.10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. The last time we, the two of us, brainstormed together, it was either to make the Crater City that you were using for your library game, or it was stuff for the Archipelago in my Sunday game. Stuff for the Archipelago. My city came first, and then we did the Archipelago. I've got four different things for this same setting that the archipelago is in that we could work on or if you think of something else hearing this list and want to do that i'm totally down any any additional material for my world is good as far as i'm concerned and you said you didn't need anything which is why we're doing something in my setting the four options that i've got right now are the church of siron which is kind of the monotheistic christianity um, medieval catholicism analog the capital city of the stellavorn empire the peoples of the nation of Karkovia, or specifically the barony that the player character group is going to occupy in the game that I eventually want to run the Saturday group through. Which of those sounds the most fun to you? Hmm. Or do none of them and I should scramble for something else? <laughs> what was the, the church thing? So by church, do you mean a physical building or are we talking about a religious An organization. Group? Organization. An organization. Okay. Yeah. That would be interesting to me. Okay. So we will go with that. Here's what I've got so far. It is 
broadly uh, kind of Catholic-esque. It's, it's got a lot of both um, temporal and political power in addition to being kind of the, the default uh, monotheistic church. There is at least one excommunicated cardinal with a private army that she uses to go out and do like witch hunting kind of stuff mm-hmm. who is a bad guy mm-hmm. it has saints okay so we've we've got we've got the rank of cardinal we've got at least one excommunicated person that still claims her former authority mm-hmm. and we've got a big like political and temporally powerful wealthy religious organization okay. so how old is this organization that's that's a thing that i think is going to change a lot of of things depending on how old it is i want to say pretty old okay here's okay so here's the other interesting thing there are island um civilizations that are still practicing kind of like an older version of this or like an ancestor faith kind of a a thing and i don't mean that as in they worship their ancestors i mean kind of like as judaism is to christianity Mm. This, the faith tradition that's practiced on these islands is to the Church of Siron. Okay. So probably five to 6,000 years old or so. And, you know, I'm I'm going with a longer, like, something that old because this is a world with elves in it. So yeah. you kind of got to account for some longer generations. When you say five to 6,000 years old, is that the ancestor religion or is that the the current structure of this church? I want to say that's the point at which the ancestor religion kind of has some of its earliest stories okay for this particular variant of the structure for this religion how old do you want that to be um i don't know seven eight hundred years old or so okay can work with that if it was like a newer thing than that excommunicated individual would might have like more cause to sort of say but i'm gonna make my own sect of it be a proper schism yeah well and she's kind of trying to do that anyways Mm. so problem is she's very militaristic so there's not a lot of like she doesn't have churches or anything she's kind of the the here i might as well give you the name of the character and the um the name of the character is adriana selenzim okay so that's that's about all we've got to start out with okay so how about in the history of the the church like, like, people just don't randomly, most of the time, don't just randomly start burning witches. It's usually a thing that was mandated in the past for reasons that may have seemed practical at the time. Like, like eliminate a present danger. But if someone is actually, like, going out to hunt witches, that generally seems to be something that has been done in the past by an organization, but is not currently mandated. Okay, so in this case, she has a grudge against arcane spellcasters. So wizards, okay. sorcerers, warlocks, the, you know, even bards to a certain extent. Did the church previously have a, a similar sort of grudge or prejudice or teachings? No, and in fact, that's oh, okay. actually why she was excommunicated. <laughs> okay. So you don't get to hunt people in our name. Okay. And her attitude was, "Oh yeah, try and stop me. I've got an army." Okay. All right. <laughs> what allowed her to get an army? Huh. I'm thinking that she had political connections in the nobility already. Okay. Uh, she may have even been titled. 
not not something really like you know she wasn't like um a, a duchess or something like mm-hmm. that i'm thinking like a viscount at the most uh yeah. probably like a knight or a baron actually and then or even perhaps like uh you know how like in the medieval world they would send like the younger children of the nobility to go join the church she yeah. may have even been one of those kind of a thing okay so I don't have that much history about her, so okay. I don't know. What do you think? You actually know more about the medieval world than I do, which is one of the reasons why this is kind of cool. So Probably not much, but that was a thing that absolutely was done. That would have been a thing for, for higher nobility because of the ability to read. It's, it's sort of... Okay. Can, the, the two sort of f- follow each other. If you're more likely to be able to read, you're more likely to be sent off to work with monks. If you have been sent off with to work with monks, you are more likely to be able to read because they were the people who would teach how to read in the first place um, a lot of the times. Likely, younger child within a fairly high-ranking nobility, like like probably Viscount and stuff like that. And if we just wind up like working on Adriana's army or something like that, that's fine too. Younger child of a Viscount. The, the territory that the PCs are going to be in possession of is in the northwestern corner of this particular kingdom slash empire Mm -hmm. butted up against some unexplored territory. So I'm thinking she should probably be from like the other side of the country. Okay. So the eastern border. Because she has those noble connections and she has this army now, would they likely be subjects of her family? Or are they, or is it more like she had access to money and thus mercenaries? Yeah, closer to that. Okay. That that and probably started out as mercenaries and wound up re- just recruiting an army of bigots, basically. Okay. People that also didn't like arcane spellcasters and mm. wanted to stick it to the wizards or whatever. So, so army is most, I'm typing into the outline here. And I'm trying to think of how to phrase a question. So obviously, I, I mean, unless you want to do like big old plot twist and all of a sudden she's a spellcaster, I mean, that'd be pretty interesting. But she has influence over people. Does that mean that she is sort of like a charismatic leader kind of thing? Very much so. Okay. So someone who is able to appeal to people's worse selves? Yeah. And here's the other thing that I was thinking for, for her is she does do that. You know, she can she can play to prejudices and stuff, but she's also able to kind of cloak it in a veneer of respectability and honor. Okay. So one of one of the things that I I did have for this is it is specifically arcane spellcasters that she has a grudge against. Okay. So she actually there are people like paladins in this particular case this is like an oath of conquest kind of thing or mm-hmm. um, oath of the crown and then there's also some clerics with like the i think it was like the knowledge order and I had one other one domain but they they don't like use a bunch of lose either way tests or torture or that sort of thing Mm. they don't burn people alive they hang them in swift knots or kill them by firing squad you know there's there's a lot of like you know this is grim necessary work but we're not just going to like terrorize and like everybody they don't just ride into a a village that's supposed to have like one arcane spellcaster in it and kill everybody and burn the town down yeah they're much more you know they they like to 
partially for PR reasons and partially because she actually thinks of herself as the good guy. Mm. They they go in in this very restrained kind of. I mean, they're still, you know, extrajudicially killing people and stuff, but yeah. it's not it's not wholesale slaughter like you'd get with you know like a barbarian horde or something. Yeah, which in some ways almost makes it worse because mm -hmm. people are more willing to excuse it. Okay, I think we've got a fair amount of that down, and if we come back to it later, then cool. You mentioned the sort of area that you want the players to end up being in a whole bunch. What about the local church structure there? Like, do you want it to be like a church? Do you want it to be a monastery kind of thing? I absolutely adore the the friendly group of local monks, and it doesn't get used nearly often enough in games, I think, because like... We, we talk about monks being all, you know, somber and vows of silences and stuff like that. But there are also so many monkster hijinks that happened that we don't talk about. And it's so much fun. Yeah. And I mean, like, the you know, the, the group of like kind of portly guys in brown robes with tonsures that brew really good beer at that place down the road was a thing, right? Yeah, yeah. And and like also they okay, this is my favorite thing and we should absolutely put this in the show notes. It's my favorite thing about any monastery I've, I've ever heard of. They would bury porpoises to hide them from uh, okay, so porpoises were considered there there's a, a YouTube video I watched about this recently. Porpoises were considered a delicacy. And if you caught one, you had to offer it first either to the queen or to the head monk of of the monastery that you were at. Okay. If they wanted secret porpoise, they had to bury it. And so okay. they have found, our archaeologists have found on an island, I believe, off the coast of France, close enough to England that you can pretty much see England, they found a grave and they were like, oh, wow, cool, an old grave that is unmarked and we might be able to find some cool stuff there. There's a porpoise in there. <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> so they like did a fake funeral for a porpoise to hide the, <laughs> to hide the porpoise. Oh, man. <laughs> everybody, everybody get your porpoise steaks and now let's just dispose of the evidence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what I'm thinking is, like, for... Okay, A, we could do that with some kind of, like, maritime delicacy, because yeah. the, one of the things that I am specifically putting in the, the player character's territory for this upcoming game is coastline. Yeah. In fact, actually, the estate will have... will literally be sitting on top of a sea cliff. Okay. And there's, like, some caves underneath and stuff there. And kind of, like, the, the give the PCs a really cool place to base themselves out of if they're not going to leave there's there's all kinds of neat stuff there and like obviously it doesn't have to be a secret porpoise yeah i mean but but i mean something like that would be kind of cool i mean maybe yeah. there's something that you know lives in the forest or something so there's that up there there's a bunch of different little villages i would say that like most of the villages that are larger than probably about a hundred people or so probably have at least some kind of like a tiny little church yeah and then yeah there's got to be at least one monastery around here just because, you know, yeah. and I do like the idea that it's full of like friendly monks that do like, you know, brewing or something like that. And, you know, they're 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 not just a bunch of like stern and some I, I want contrast to like what the, you know, like the the good part of the church is like to this mm -hmm. excommunicated mad woman who's going around like 
doing bad stuff in its name. If there's no contrast, then we just have like Warhammer Fantasy and why. I hate that. So <laughs> So if we do want to amp up that contrast, maybe the monastery is where they teach young people with magic talent how to sort of control it better. Okay. Yeah. I, I especially if they specialize in something like there's that theurgy tradition where there's like a it's got a little bit of clericiness in it. Or even something simple like uh, abjuration or something where it's like, yeah. you know, we're going to teach you a bunch of like protective magic that can because I mean, you know, they, they it's it's not like a modern civilized world. There's not paved roads and stuff everywhere. There's a haunted mm -hmm. forest taking up a huge chunk of this barony. Like, <laughs> yeah, maybe you should know some protective spells, you know, yeah. Just in case like <laughs> something nasty comes charging out of the woods, slavering for human flesh. You know, yeah. it seems seems like a good thing to have on hand, you know, mm -hmm. just in case. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I do like the idea that there's a brewery there, too. Because a bunch of, like, slightly tipsy wizard students that haven't learned any harmful magic is just yeah. hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Here, I'm going to make a barrier, and then you run at it as hard as you can. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or, or, you know, like, they've just learned prestidigitation, like, I'm going to turn his hair purple. Let's see how long it takes him to notice. Because there's no mirrors around. Yeah. Like, everybody is just, like, you know, tittering and stuff. Yeah. What on earth are, you know, and then he, like, you know, brushes his hand through his hair and it comes back purple or something like that. Um, okay. For for magical talent, you'd probably have, like, high and lowborn because, mm -hmm. hey, that's, you know, relatively rare. Yeah. So you've you've got an interesting like, and this all also kind of feeds into the this can be kind of a a good thing because it gives some of the nobility access to lower born people for a long time and they can kind yeah. of see like what their lives are like and that sort of thing. We've got that monastery. Do you have any other ideas for like that, or do we want to move on to some other stuff? Uh, maybe some other stuff like saints. Because you mentioned there were saints. Saints are one of the ways that I'm handling, like, different domains and stuff. So if we're going to come up with some, and I think we should, because mm -hmm. I, I think coming up with saints is fun ever since we did that episode on them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's come up with some local saints for the Blackwood Barony. Okay. And it's got it's got its name because the, that giant haunted forest is called the Forest of Shadows. So that got shortened down to Blackwood. Okay. And that's that's kind of like your stereotypical, like, nasty, evil, you know, fantasy forest with the, the trees that'll grab you and, like, psychotic druid sex in it and that sort of thing. So we've got... It's an archipelago. So we've got a lot of coastline. Uh, okay. Actually, let me stop you there. Oh, okay. This area isn't the archipelago. Okay. This is, this is on the northern coast of, like, a proper continent. Oh, and, okay. And, like, to the, the north, it, there's just, like, a little sliver of, like, ocean kind of as part of this barony. And mm. then, like, the coastline bends around and there's a bunch of unexplored territory to the northwest. Okay. So, like, the north-north the part, there's a sea cliff, there's a private docks and that sort mm. of thing. And then the coastline kind of curves up northwest, and then it spreads out, and there's more land there. Okay, but but it's still at least for for the town that you know I said we said we were going to move away from the monks, but I think they should be monks monks of Saint someone. Okay, you mentioned that this was sort of a, a coastal area still, even though it is on the main continent, it is somewhat yeah. coastal. Okay, what about a sailor saint? Oh, okay, I like this. 
So let's see. What kind of saintly thing could this person have done? Redirected ships in a Oh, maybe a lighthouse saint. Okay, sure, yeah. So, like, for, for a miracle, basically parted a storm, and maybe, instead of, like, parting the sea, parting a storm to allow ships to get home safely. Oh, oh, okay, 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 okay. hear me out, hear me out. Okay, parted a storm, but it was at night, because lighthouse stuff. Basically, okay, and this this is, like, a huge, huge leap, and, like, huge difference, and, and you know, call me out if it's, like, oh, no, that's silly a little bit much, but what if, instead of... Like, Christians see the rainbow as God's promise not to harm humanity with a gigantic flood ever again. So what if instead of a, a rainbow, it was Northern Lights? Oh, okay. Yeah, I like that. And I know that's like mixing up two different Old Testament stories, but... No, it's a different world. It's a different yeah. world. It's perfect. They saw the Aurora Borealis through the mm -hmm. parted clouds. And there's a... Unless, the, unless this is Southern Continent, because it's not Borealis if it's South but I don't remember what the South word is. No, it's, this is, okay, so the archipelago is kind of in the Southern Hemisphere, but like mm. the main landmass that Karkovia is on is in the Northern Hemisphere. Okay. If, <laughs> interestingly, like if we're comparing it to Earth, like um, Karkovia is kind of in the spot where North America would be. Okay. And then like the Vanaraks are kind of, um, if there was a, continent in the north atlantic and then mm. stellivorn is kind of in the general vicinity of where like the indian subcontinent would be okay and then like the archipelago takes up kind of a huge area mm. in the southern hemisphere okay imagine that the space between south america and africa is just all islands okay <laughs> okay that's it's pretty big. cool that's pretty it's cool really big yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, right. I mean, you know, the, the land masses don't map perfectly and stuff, and there's there's some other large ones and stuff, but just to kind of give you a general sense, sense of where of, stuff of is. scale and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. We have this saint who parted a storm and revealed the aurora. We don't have a name because I'm bad at names. <laughs> I'm very bad at names. So Karkovia has a lot of, like, Slavic-sounding names, so let me, okay. let me pull out some Czech names here. Ooh! I got one because I learned about it recently, and I think it's one okay. of the coolest names ever. Walraven. Okay. All right. So this is Saint Walraven. Is that a masculine name, a feminine name, or a surname? It I can see it be any of those. It's a it's a masculine name. Uh, it means traveler raven or ruler raven. Uh, it's usually Dutch and not Slavic, but I, okay. I think it I think it it sounds right, like yeah, it could fine. be. I mean, people emigrate, you know, these, eh, whatever, it's a fantasy world. It doesn't have to be totally consistent. I just, mm -hmm. all right, so it'll be St. Walraven of Blackwood. And let's say he also built the lighthouse, too. Any other just kind of fun little human stories about this guy? I think those are kind of cool. If you can, like, other stuff that he did that was, like, nice but not miraculous, maybe. Yeah. Maybe he inspired, or, like... So legends say that he made up this thing, but he probably didn't. But, like, what if he inspired the recipe for the beer that the monks are making? Okay. <laughs> you know what? I, I've got an idea. What if there's, like, some aquatic plant that goes in there that gives it a unique flavor? Mm. That grows off the coast? Yeah. Uh, some kind of seaweed or something like some kind of yeah. like cold saltwater seaweed. Yeah. There's a really cool kind of seaweed. I'm not sure if it's edible, but it it's like bubble wrap. 
It's, oh, really? It's got little yeah. gas pockets in it and stuff? Yeah, it's like the most satisfying bubble wrap you've ever popped because it's a lot tougher. Huh. And so it's just like, you see it a lot off the coast of New Brunswick. Okay, let's let's base it on that. <laughs> I, I Again, I don't know if it's actually edible in real life, but this one is... Eh, whatever, it's a fantasy plant. Fantasy plant. <laughs> oh, maybe the gases in the pockets are necessary for this particular type of fermentation or something. Oh, I like that. Let's say they give it like a, a unique type of carbonation rather than a... Mm. And then like the leaves themselves give it a flavor. Yeah, okay. Let's just say like larger bubbles than normal. So, which which gives it another kind of a humorous thing because that would produce some pretty epic belches when you're <laughs> drinking it quickly. <laughs> yeah. This one saint. Do you know, Do you want another saint? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's let's do that. The saints are fun, and they they add a lot of stuff to like local culture and stuff here. So, so where needs a saint? How about like some kind of a forest protector saint? Okay, because the the forest is dangerous, and then you know maybe like some kind of of ranger or something from back in the day mm-hmm. that. And okay, so we've got a male saint, so let's make this one a female saint because I like things a little more egalitarian, especially in fantasy worlds. Yeah, I don't. We don't. We don't need to have sexism in this world. <laughs> it's, it's dumb. Yes. So <laughs> we're not going to. So all right. Okay, female ranger saint. So I'm, I'm thinking of a couple different ones. So I've I've recently been been hearing cool things and sort of doing tiny small amounts of reading on different types of. You don't want to you don't want to really call it agriculture but like the way that hunting and gathering actually worked among certain types of somewhat nomadic peoples where they wouldn't plant farms but they would like have these paths through the forest and through the forest along these paths they would plant the kinds of berries and somewhat harvestable plants that you would just sort of like eat as you, you know, walked along the path. Yeah, nut trees, fruit trees, that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, and, and making sure that they grow well together. So they're they're like the the three sister plants, corn, squash, and something else that I don't remember. Um <laughs> but but not exactly those. But but like it wasn't these big fields full of one crop. It was like here's a, a mixture of all of these plants that we know are good to eat. Kind of like veins of them through a forest or something almost. Very much so. It was something remarked on by English settlers who first came. They were like, oh, wow, these these forests have these, you know, paths through them that just have these berries. What a gift. It's like, no, this was cultivated through hundreds upon hundreds of years of intentional planting. People deliberately and carefully doing this. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe she came from a culture like that, and maybe she stopped a blight? I've got a great idea here. Oh, you got a great idea. Okay. She's, okay, just based on what you said, I wanted, like, some other, like, cultures kind of in that terra incognita space to the northwest, right? Yeah. Because one, one of the things is, like, the um, the player characters are going to kind of expand their territory as part of part of the game maybe like a group that's kind of like out of this buffer zone between this big kingdom and then when you get to some more like tribal um people or even just like you know really small kingdoms that really haven't had contact with the big one they've got kind of like a similar tradition of that there's like a a group of nomads and she kind of came down from that northwestern area and came through found a bunch of villages that were just pitifully struggling like the soil was bad the monsters were picking people off if they were out past like sundown. Mm. Um, it was it was just real ugly, and she 
had compassion on these people and kind of joined the society and started teaching, like, you know, how to make, like, these safe paths. Put your rations along, you know, the, the road you're going to travel and mm-hmm. figure out kind of, like, some of the, the stuff balances out the other stuff that you want to grow and that sort of thing. Like, you mm-hmm. know, like, a lot of a lot of the, you know, the incredibly, like, specific and advanced knowledge that didn't match up to the Western agricultural standard mm. that a lot of these native societies had that is still, like I said, incredibly advanced. It takes generations to uh, compile this and really get good at it, figure out what works, what doesn't. Mm-hmm. But it's totally alien to, you know, the experience of the people in this kind of Western-style agricultural society. What do you think? That sounds good. I like it. Okay. You know, maybe she joins the church at some point, or maybe she's one of those people who kind of gets canonized anyways just because she was so <laughs> great after she died. Yeah. <laughs> There, there could be, in fact, actually, there could be some ambiguity there, you know? Yeah. Why not? Yeah, sure. I like that idea. I, mm-hmm. I think that's pretty cool. Do we want her to be a human, or do we want her to be some other kind of sapient uh, life? Uh, just a bust stereotype a little more. What about a dwarf? I Okay, I was I was actually thinking an orc. Okay. By the way, did, did I mention the, how I'm doing orcs in this particular setting? If you did, it's been a while. <laughs> Far polar fishermen. Kind of a thing, basically. So mix mix the Inuit and the Vikings together and you have the orcs, basically. It, it seems like somebody who comes down from the north, it would be perfectly appropriate for her to be an orc. Maybe she was an exile. Maybe he like her uh, the one of a sm- very small number of survivors of a plague or something. Or a famine and she didn't want it to happen again. Oh, I like that. Okay, yeah. Survivor of a famine... That would explain also why she would stop and help the villages. Couldn't mm-hmm. stand to see that happen to other people. You know, like, maybe it happened to her when she was a teenager, and she just kind of, like, barely survived and got better and better as she was wandering, and then learned how to do all of this, and eventually, you know, came across these people that were suffering, like like her, you know, her family and her village that she came from did. And it was like, I, I just, I, I can't watch this happen again. There, yeah. yeah, I have the skills to, to make this not happen. I'm going to use them. What if she was a really good person, but also super pedantic? <laughs> like, okay. you're doing this so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so maybe she's like the, like a, a patron saint of technically correct, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because that that totally that totally squares with like this cranky ranger that's been through like all of this you know trouble in early life and has worked yeah. out some very specific ways to survive. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> long on compassion, short on diplomacy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> listen up, you stupid knuckleheads. <laughs> Why do you think your soil's depleted? Because you keep growing the same thing over and over and over again. <laughs> you not know how dirt works? You know? like, <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's great. Were we going to get a name for her? We we definitely need one. Yeah. What kind of name sounds orcish to you? I don't know. Usually it's it's Scandinavian names to me. and But that's already Okay, sort and of... I mean that... that well, uh, could we look at, I mean, like, we could look at, like, kind of Viking-y sounding stuff, because that's kind of sort of one of the influences there. You know, okay. these people that live up in this harsh, cold place. So All right. Let's, let's Scandinavian women's names. I'll just pop open good old Wikipedia here and 
I like behind the name, which can't be pulled up because technical difficulties are continuing. I've got a bunch of... Uh, Let's see if I can find, like, finish or something. And I'm at behind the name right now. Okay. Fin- finish is an interesting, interesting language. Feminine Finnish names here. I mean, we got some really simple stuff like Julia and Karina here. Mm. So let's scroll past that. And we've got um, Marjuka, maybe. That sounds kind of orky. Um, Could you type that up for me? I wonder if it's so M-A-R-J-U-K-K-A. That, that'll be a Y, I think. Okay. So that'd be Maryuka or, or Maryuka, maybe? If it's a, if it's a, if it's a double K, then you, you linger over it. Maryuka. Okay. So this would be St. Maryuka then. Yeah. All right. I kind of like that one. It's, uh, it's a diminutive of Marja, which it's a Finnish and Sorbonne form of Maria, as well as a Dutch variant. It also means berry in Finnish, according to this. Okay. Yeah. Which, you know, seems kind of... Fitting. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, berries are one of the things that you can grow in the wild, so... Almost put that K sound in there twice, you know, Mariyaka. <laughs> so... <laughs> Do we want some kind of, like, a, a holy site or a, something like that? Yeah, We've got sure. the forest, there's also the Chokewater Swamp in the south. I don't know if this would be, like, spoilersy for your players. Well, you're going to be one of them, so you determine. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the thing that I want to run the Saturday group through when, when we finish with Grant's game. The Haunted Forest. What if there was, like, this one sort of perfectly circular glade in there that was like untouched by that was untouched by ghosts okay yeah and i mean you know haunted is in this case not even so much just ghosts as full of evil nasty things you know but there's like one like sacrosanct perfectly circular area yeah i like that let me let me read you something that i wrote up in world anvil recently because this is very fitting there's precedence for this in the setting okay doha's anchor Okay. Doha's Anchor is a massive block of rough-hewn gray stone standing about 40 feet tall and about 10 feet on a side. It is always slightly cool to the touch, even in direct sunlight, and gives off an almost imperceptible feeling of calm and general well-being. It is also one of the most powerful protective objects in the entire world. Doha's Anchor is a piece of stone made directly by the creator at the birth of the world, and it has remained in its current form ever since. As such, it hedges out anything that is not of the universe that Plavathan is native to. The various shackled horrors cannot approach within several, about three, in parentheses, miles of this unremarkable monolith, and their supernatural abilities simply end at the border of the zone. Spells cast by them stop at the edges if blocked by some invisible barrier, and any otherworldly substances simply vanish when thrown over the line, and the beings themselves collide with an invisible force field that stops nothing else. Notably, this also applies to mind-controlling effects. A mentally dominated servant instantly regains their free will and is aware of what happened to them as soon as they cross the boundary. Furthermore, the exclusion area is expanding, albeit very slowly. Hmm. During the time that the shackled horrors slumbered, it grew from literally just affecting the pillar itself to the area it currently affects, making this a new threat and a weapon against the influence of the shackled horrors. This has, rather predictably, made the monolith a target of the horrors as they reawaken, but thus far, the effects of the monolith itself, and the fact that it sits at the center of the capital of the Stellivorn Empire, 
mean that the destruction of the monolith is more of a desire than a plan or even a goal. The horrors cannot see into the exclusion area, cannot enter it, and cannot use abilities to affect it. So maybe something like that, but smaller. I was actually thinking almost bigger. Like, like how, how big was the area of effect on that again? Three miles. Okay, yeah, smaller. <laughs> Sorry. I. It was big. <laughs> yeah, I don't... No, not not like that. So what yeah, I was sort of thinking... It's like three miles from the center of it, so it's like a, a circle six miles across. Okay, so <laughs> less than that... Like covers the whole capital city, yeah. Maybe like 400 meters across for okay. this one. And I was sort of thinking about like maybe having some sort of evidence that a humanoid has or a group of humanoids have been there before and wanted to mark it. I am absolutely obsessed with a certain type of stone bridge that forms a perfect semicircle. So what about that, but like big, like stretching the whole span of it across the center? How about if it's an ancient bridge that nobody can really remember who created it? Okay. And the keystone is one of these rocks. Okay. Okay. And just for other folks like me who are more used to the imperial system, 400 meters is almost exactly a quarter of a mile. Yeah, it's the length that a track is, like a, a track that you run on, in at least oh, in, in okay. Canadian high schools. That's that's the length of a track. Yeah, and we call them quarter mile tracks here in the U.S. And they're the same. Okay, that that may be the reason why it's that. You know, it's yep. something that's <laughs> convenient in both like both measurement systems. So yep. okay, yeah, I like this. Okay, and you said that um, you had some specific ideas about like people having marked this or something. Or well, that would be the bridge, right? So like an older recognition that this one keystone is powerful. We should maybe okay. do something with it, and thus the bridge. Although, bridge maybe, I don't know, because then, like, what's it crossing? It's crossing one of, you know... Just a random stream or something. I mean, there's rivers yeah, yeah. that run through the territory. Okay, yeah. Maybe it crosses a particularly hazardous chunk of water or something. There's some rapids that go through there or something. And it's there's no safe fords. Uh, maybe it's it's a glade though. So you could have like a, a glade on either side of the river. That's I. Here's the thing: like whatever is twisting the rest of the forest is excluded by this thing. Mm -hmm. So you would get like an area of benign vegetation kind of around yeah. this bridge. The water comes through there. They've got water. Okay. I mean, it's maybe not quite an actual like glade, but it's. It's an an area where the plants don't seem like angry and you yeah. know, stuff like that too. So, and I'm thinking since you know, I mean, you don't want to fall in this in this river anyways because yeah. it's this far north. The water's going to be real cold. Mm. You know, if the rocks don't get you, the hypothermia will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got any other ideas along that those lines, or do you mm. think that one's good? Maybe. I think maybe some kind of like a little shrine or something there just kind of as a recognition that it's a holy site. I think th I think that'd be the keystone. Okay. Maybe the keystone's been engraved? Yeah, that'd be a that'd be a neat thing to have there. Also, <laughs> like critically, that gives the player characters a safe place to run the heck to if they <laughs> are getting chased by something that's a little too high of a CR through the woods. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Jenny. This was fun. And thank as you, usual, Peter. I, you know, wind up with some neat stuff for my world. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely enjoy these. So mm -hmm. I think we're going to end it here, folks. If you want to hear more from us, including our regular episodes where we get more analytical instead of creative, we are at stgcast.org. We are uh, saving the game on Facebook and Twitter. 
if you are interested in talking to other people who are into this sort of thing, uh, come check out our Discord. You can find a join link on our website, stgcast.org. With that, we're going to end this one. See you later, folks. See ya. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, share-alike license. Our logo is by Ruben Smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at nihilor.com. To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, do good, and happy gaming.